Aloha. Thank you for tuning in to the Indo-Pacific Current, a discussion-based podcast endeavor to explore and discuss trending geopolitical issues in the Indo-Pacific, hosted by Pacific Forum. Featuring voices and experts from across the region, the Indo-Pacific Current holds conversations aimed at further strengthening policy collaboration. To stay up to date with Pacific Forum, please follow us on social media at PacForum on Instagram and at Pacific Forum on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And now, today's episode. Today we are joined by Dr. Andreas Kuhn, a senior fellow at Observer Research Foundation America, where he leads research and international cybersecurity cooperation within ORF, America's Cyberspace Cooperation Initiative. His work focuses on the new risks and challenges in international security at the intersection of emerging technology, cybersecurity, and technology governance. Aloha, Andreas. Welcome to the program. Hey, Mark. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Um, it's, it's great to be here and be part of uh, Pacific Forum's new podcast. A few months ago, Andreas joined us as one of our speakers for the U.S. Singapore Tech and Virtual Series. He spoke during our third session titled Forging Digital Standards, Challenges in IP or Intellectual Property and Supply Chains. In that particular session, Andreas shared with us his perspectives regarding the very complex relationship between supply chain and cybersecurity. Today, he joins me here in this special curated series of the Indo-Pacific Current to dive deeper into the issue of supply chain resiliency from the viewpoint of cybersecurity based on his contribution in the upcoming special publication for the U.S. Singapore Tech and Virtual Series. So Andreas, just to start the conversation, can you define for us what is supply chain cybersecurity? So, you know, there's no kind of like single definition. So whenever you kind of like go through all this literature, there are different people taking like different different approaches to that. And often it's also not very clear what's about specific to supply chain security versus just digital security. Um, I think for me, um, the emphasis on supply chain indicates kind of like this, this idea of third party risk, this idea of like you bring something into your organization, uh, something that you don't really know what it is, but you, you kind of start trusting it without actually asking hard questions around how, how secure it is. And so I think that's part of an organization's approach to making risk-informed decisions what to let in and to therefore understand what, what, what is coming in. Um, at, at the same time, you know, supply chain security can have obviously a broader meaning about all the dependencies that you have from, from third parties where you're, where you're uh, you know, internal processes are based on things that you require in terms of availability, integrity, and so forth. And I think often when we have this conversation, you know, at least from my perspective, it's often informed about ICT supply chains, but there's obviously a lot of other supply chains who have asked very similar questions. And related to that, all the technology today in place that is used to manage supply chains independent of what kind of sector we are in. So I think those are kind of like mapping out this kind of like broader conversation around supply chains. So that's what I would put in, into this category. You mentioned in the piece, the importance of managing third-party information and communications technology risk, and also tackled the need for various standards and frameworks. And so for our listeners who are not well-versed in this area, can you briefly walk us through on what are some of the current risk management approaches or standards that are implemented by the US and Singapore? So I think there are a couple out there. There is no congruent definition and therefore 
a bunch of different standards will probably be subsumed or would be relevant to managing supply chain security. But I think what is probably, at least for me, the most prominent one uh, in terms of cybersecurity overall is the NIST cybersecurity framework that also um, since a few years has a component on supply chain security in it. Uh, what was interesting, uh, and I think that's it's worthwhile to remember, this is a fairly nascent conversation, right? A few years ago, uh, when uh, the, uh, the, the NIST cybersecurity framework was it was issued in 2018, uh, there was no mention of supply chain security in it. And when it was updated a few years later, um, there were huge conversations, as far as I remember, among um, some of the organizations we have been working with around whether or not supply chain security should be um included in this cybersecurity framework or it should be somewhere hidden away or just kept separate. Um, I think today we're all glad that that uh, this important component is uh, or has been included in, in the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework. Singapore uh, in its 2021 um, uh, cybersecurity strategy um, also has its own approach, critical information infrastructure uh, supply chain security program that they use to manage uh, visibility in supply chains and address supply chain security and cybersecurity in, in that as well. Going back to the US, um, uh, DHS, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security and Agency, DOD, uh, Department of State have had their, all their own initiatives to manage and address um, uh, supply chain security. Some of them um, generally informed about concerns around um, the importance of, of, of software, uh, software security, how this needs to be addressed. Um, in more general terms, others very specific with regards to 5G, kind of like this conversation around, uh, you know, no US supplier available. We have, do we have to buy stuff from, from China or is there, is there, are, are there real alternatives there and how that risk can be managed? And so I think this has been very prolific field if you want to, uh, that two things have been discussed. Um, Solarium Commission addressed some part of its report on, on, on supply chain security. So did the um, National Security Council on Artificial Intelligence as well. Yeah, so I think those are some of the main um, actors in that field. Um, and again, um, there have been uh, huge numbers of frameworks, uh, including at the OECD and elsewhere, uh, where we kind of try to see how is this currently developing? What are some of those key components? Um, and uh, I think that's part of the challenge for people, organizations who want to implement supply chain security. They have to figure out what are some of those uh, components that are relevant for their organizations and their operations. Would you tell us, you know, very briefly and broadly your assessment on the sort of implications or impact of the ongoing war in Ukraine in the context of cybersecurity and supply chains? Uh, sure, I'm happy to. Thank you, Mark. You know, um, having previously worked at the East-West Institute, where we used to have a, a Moscow office and having worked closely on, on uh, U.S.-Russia relations, so kind of like this entire conflict was, was shocking, but maybe as people now today say, maybe not as surprising. Nevertheless, you know, making those types of assessment today, at least as, a, as an academic, I think it's interesting to see how challenging uh, that is. There's a lot of things we still don't know and entirely understand. There have been a lot of like professional views on things, but then depending who you're talking to, some of those might be kind of kind of contested. Um, I think it's definitely a moment for us as a field in cybersecurity to, to really think whether or not the theories that we've put out, the assumptions that we have, how cyber uh, in an active conflict is used is currently being tested. Uh, so I think that's from a, a professional perspective uh, of, of interest to follow. Um, having that said, there have been a lot of opinion and assessments out there. 
um, I think we still have to learn and wait to see um, if things uh, work out as, as, as they were told. In terms of supply chains, um, you know, Ukraine as, as being an important service provider for Europe, uh, I think that's, that, that's definitely something that we have seen in terms of like potential supply chain issues of disruptions of services. But there are also a lot of other, as we've all read around the importance of the Ukraine uh, in, in supply chains, globally speaking, you know, in terms of like food for the Middle East and other parts of the world. So there's definitely kind of the, the name of supply chains very big on the screen. Um, the same for, for you know, energy supply, um, rare earth supply um, that also affects some of the ICT and semiconductor uh, related supply chain. So I think in some sense, uh, this kind of reflects um, maybe a broader change of perspective that we um, see more and more actions in the world, conflict and other things shaped in, in forms of supply chains. And so I think that's, uh, uh, there's no, this is not a complete assessment what I provided here, but maybe some, some initial thoughts around why this is an important, uh, an important event. I think it's a very uh, good sort of foundation and you touched upon this word perspective and in your contribution in the special publication you talk about how we can look at supply chain from the viewpoint of cybersecurity using these two lenses of technical instead of geopolitical framing on how when we are thinking about supply chain cybersecurity uh, sure i'm happy to um, you know, when we started first at looking at supply chains, you know, this was kind of like mostly informed around the 5G conversation and debate between the US and China. There's a lot of people having mostly a technical perspective on the issues, kind of like what are some of the cybersecurity risks inherent in technology that need to be managed? And I think in the beginning, including myself, there was a strong perspective on what are some of those technical risks and what are the tools that we have to deal with software vulnerabilities, with potential other types of risk in those in those infrastructure that are implemented in our in our network as the world um and this is came out out of uh, conversations among engineers and people concerned about technical systems and how they can be secured and i think there's a significant tradition around uh, how we do that in information security uh to deal with this type of risks um, I think what was new to many of us, uh, maybe not to everyone, because other people think much more in geopolitical risk, is kind of that dimension. How um, you know those very complex technological systems now also come with a you know geopolitical perspective that we need to address. And so I think the conversations from whether or not we can secure five G or any other uh, critical and emerging technologies purely from a technical perspective towards uh, a perspective about geopolitical aspects, which you know would refer to things around dependencies from from third party suppliers, particularly if those are based in adversarial countries uh, or competitors, is a raising concern. If what if uh, those suppliers would, for example, use that dependency for some, some form of strategic gains, right? By interrupting a service, not providing um, certain goods or services and so forth. And that's obviously not only uh, related to like um, ICT supply chains, but I think during the pandemic has shown this, this goes in many other areas, the medical field, and as the, the unfortunate conflict in, in Ukraine uh, outlines uh, also in, 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 a, in a range of other um, areas that I uh, mentioned earlier in the beginning of our conversation. And also, I think just um, staying on that conversation or idea, this growing geopolitical um, spotlight that we have put into um, ICT and global supply chain, I think the question 
policymakers and experts and also the industry has grappled with over the past few years is how do we find the right balance between techno-nationalism and this restrictive national security measures, but still um, posing you know, great risks within this sort of greater industry collaboration, um, public-private partnerships, research and development. So from your perspective, and you've discussed this a lot in the essay as well, how do we strike that fine balance on these considerations so that you know, innovation and collaboration will continue, but still we are mindful and cognizant of the national security risks? I think this is a very good question. I think this, this complicated balance of like what is allowed or what is still okay versus not is something that, you know, it's probably something that I have to beholder. So where do we draw the line to say, okay, this is still a measure that is okay versus, versus not, right? And I think uh, different people, different states are on very different viewpoints on that. Um, I think uh, it would be, it's hard for me to draw that line, right? Because I think often when we, when we look at certain measures uh, that are, that China comes up versus the US comes up when it comes to supply chain security, there are certain gray zones where we might think, um, you know, this could be okay, but then if the measure comes from China, we have to be much more concerned about that, that if, if a democratic like-minded state would have come up with some form of a similar similar measure. Uh, then you know, we see them across many, many parts. You know, I think uh, more recently China has been uh, called out for uh, maybe taking a, an overactive role in standard setting and trying to forge a way into important technical bodies to um, you know, impose their views on, on uh, how standard technical standards should look like. Um, that's a concern for, for like-minded states and the U.S. in particular. Um, I mean, there is also some form of standard coordination happening in, in like-minded states, right? Um, so, so where, where where do we draw that line, and where, where does it where does it become pretty, pretty complicated? And I think it's it's obviously this is a political conversation at this point. It's a it's a conversation about values and kind of like if you want to battle of the systems, right? But I think. Um, and I think the, the cheer on this is still out there. We, we see different kind of like tools being used for that. Uh, we see certain measures that are clearly have a benefit. Um, domestic companies uh, put others at disadvantage, particularly foreign companies. Uh, when when things uh, issues of market access come into play, that's another maybe um, criteria where we can say, well, this this might go too far under under established uh, rules. I think, but the other part that's maybe relates more back to the previous question that you asked, which is around you know this technical versus the geopolitical aspect. I think um, in some of the more technical uh, risk, we have probably more established measures or, or frameworks that we can use, right? So, so how does a cybersecurity risk framework look like, and what are some of those measures in there? It seemed to me at times at least much more straightforward. What can we do on the technical or organizational level versus when it comes into more the political diplomacy realm or, or maybe other types of realm where states are active in. But when, when, when you actually go in that space um, to deal with some of the geopolitical aspects, then we see out of a sudden different types of measures emerge, right? We talk about on one level um, um, organizations, private sector entities start kind of like shoring up supplies in order to have enough supply uh, to have their production line going on, which is not necessarily political level per se, right? Because you could make an argument that for resilience reasons, you want to do that in the first place. I think we saw that COVID kind of like uh, showed that maybe just in time production doesn't, isn't always like uh, the, the best way to ensure resilience. 
But there are other conversations on this uh, more geopolitical um, level, which is around you know reconfiguring supply chains, forming alliances among like-minded states to kind of like deal and manage with the with this uh, uh, technology competition with China. You've made this claim about cybersecurity being hard. It remains a foundational problem. And ICT are becoming more and more strategic assets. And it becomes more complicated when we deal with supply chain cybersecurity because you're dealing with multiple stages of production uh, of the assembly line and multiple subcontractors. This complicated sort of relationship between cybersecurity and supply chain is still a very, I would say, it's being, uh, it's a serious issue in the region, but I think there is still a very nascent conversation about managing third-party information, um, uh, information communications technology, managing risks, and also adapting various standards uh, and frameworks. And in the article, you talked about these important frameworks. And for those, for our listeners who are not still, you know, very much not well-versed in this area, can you briefly walk us through on what are sort of this current risk management approaches or standards that, you know, we see developing in the region, at least from the perspective of Singapore as an, an innovation hub and also, um, you know, with um, American companies um, investing in Singapore and in Southeast Asia. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, I think I can maybe start with a little bit of history around supply chain security, or at least the standards that have evolved around that. Uh, because I, 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 that would be mostly from a U.S. perspective. I, I don't have a very good read around how some of those are specific to the, the, the Asia-Pacific region. Um, I, I think while there have been a recent, in the recent few years, quite a bit of development overall when it comes to particular implementations, particularly for medium and small-sized businesses, right? They're uh, very early on in that game, you know. The history, the very short history that I want to provide is, you know, like five, six, seven years ago, there's not much there was not much conversation around um, supply chain security or, or third-party vendor risk. You know, we look at most at our organization, what their cybersecurity risks are, but not necessarily what we bring in from the outside that could affect our, our cybersecurity. And I think this was very prominent for me for, for two reasons. So one, um, again, I mentioned before, I used to work with the East-West Institute where we came up with this, what was called the ICT uh, buyer's guide, basically, you know, 100 questions that, uh, that a buyer should ask their vendors in order to deal and manage um, uh, supply chain risk or, or third-party risk. And this was in purpose, uh, obviously 100 questions are a lot, there's a shorter version, was just 25, but the idea was like, can we provide simple tools for buyers to, to make smart decisions based on those type of questions. Um, and the other part of that was one of the earlier organizations actually asking those kind of questions around supply chain security. Mm-hmm. Um, the other um, kind of like eye-opening event was that when NIST updated uh, its cybersecurity framework a couple of years ago from version 1.2 1, 1. to 1. 1.1, there was this conversation that or not uh, supply chain risk uh, uh, and supply chain management should be included in the framework or not. And I, I remember some very distinct conversations between uh, different uh, representatives of, of, of US, large US tech corporations where some said, oh, it should be included, and others said, so, oh, it should not be included. And so I think this was just a few years ago, right? It was not like 10 years ago, it was like, like four or five years ago. And kind of like, I think it shows how far we have come in that, to, in that point in this conversation. 
but also it says something else. It says that today we actually see a, a huge landscape of a lot of like standards, frameworks, best practices all over the place that, that try to deal with, with supply chain risk in, in some form. Some of them are, are, are general, some of them are more you know, sector specific. Um, um, and I think that's some people have described it as, oh, this is a fragmentation that is not good. And I think it's actually a, a good situation. It means that uh, businesses and governments have understood this is a serious issue, mm -hmm. have put in resources in there. And now um, now we have a lot of standards. The problem with that, again, is I guess it's a good problem to have is that we have something. And now we need to think about uh, consolidation. We need to think about implementing those standards and figuring out what actually works for what. What are some of those best practices? Uh, what are some of the challenges and obstacles, perhaps, and how can we address them? Right. And so I think that's the that's the point. I think where we are at the moment. And I think for the Indo-Pacific, um, in particular, you know, the question is um, as as particular as, as as a major global um, manufacturing hub, right, where a lot of like IoT technology comes out or is produced there. Can we early on have this conversation about supply chain and basically put measures in place at the source so that when we further down the supply chains uh, when those products are implemented in other types of products uh, are sold to around, all around the globe that, that we have like security early on baked in because we have a conversation with some of those manufacturers early on right in your piece you actually outlined um, specific measures that the united states and singapore can work on and i think a very prevailing theme across the, the series was the need for capacity building. And Andreas, if you could just walk us through some of the recommendations that you put forward in terms of how the United States and Singapore, the US again, as you've mentioned, um, is sort of this Western or US-based companies like just Microsoft, um, Amazon, um, who are operating in teleoperating in the region, also Singapore being the most technologically advanced, um, at least in a state um, in, in Southeast Asia. What are sort of the concrete recommendations that you put forward um, that you'd like to share um, from the policy piece? So for our initial conversation just kind of was around uh, supply chains. And so I think the idea was to think about what are some of the uh, you know um, supply chain cybersecurity cooperation opportunities if you want and so i think you know when we talk about cybersecurity, we always should uh, the, the the first the first uh, uh, the recommendation always comes up oh we have to do more information sharing right uh, and i think uh, that's generally true i think uh, the right type of information sharing vulnerability information threat information is is, is a good approach uh, in that direction i think the first recommendation was to kind of think along those lines particularly for supply chain with our specific steps that can be taken to strengthen uh, vulnerability threat and other types of information sharing specifically for supply chains. Um, uh, the US and Singapore already have uh, three memorandum of understandings. They recently kind of signed an agreement to start a cyber, a cyber dialogue as well. Uh, so I think within that context, thinking around what some of those, including operational cooperation could look like is, is, is kind of like Kind of like the starting point of, of the of the four. The second one, I think, I already spoke briefly to that was the idea of like, okay, there are a lot of like standards out there. Um, can the U.S. Uh, and Singapore together uh, come up with certain programs and pilots to actually pick a few um, relevant standards and implement them uh, in particular like use cases that they have? Uh, use cases here being 
working together with actual partners in the region for specific uh, US Singapore um, supply chains or, or particular areas of trade, um, providing uh, financial assistance for partners to, to implement that, collect the findings of those, and then distribute that further to other partners in that area, kind of like to actually understand what's actually working, what is not working. Again, you know, we had have a lot of conversations around standards and frameworks and best practices, but we know a little bit less around actually how good implementation looks like and how maybe different uh, sectors or firms can learn from each other in that regard. Part of that but would also be um, strengthening capacity building for personnel and training uh, around supply chain security. I think that would be, would be an important part to do, as well as uh, not to forget like small, smaller and medium-sized businesses. And I think they voiced uh, not only with supply chain security, but cybersecurity more broadly, that, that those are often challenging measures to implement. So how, how can we come up with with tools that are, you know, that a small organization can deal with. Um, we've seen like large organizations, you know, spend spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to implement standards, to monitor them, to uh, make sure they're compliant with all types of government regulations for cybersecurity and specifically for supply chain security. Uh, but small, how, 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 does, how does this look like for smaller um, organizations? I think that would be another important point in this cooperation. The third recommendation was given that the Indo-Pacific is this globe's uh, manufacturing hub uh, and uh, important for digital transformation of the devices and products that come out out of the region. Can the US and Singapore together uh, spear conversations with ICT and IoT manufacturers and, and, and have a conversation around that accountability and um, uh, supply chain security mesh that could put in place at the source early on that at the end would benefit everyone involved in this. And the fourth and last uh, recommendations is more, it was more kind of a, a reminder around aligning an uh, ongoing effort in this field. At this point, everyone seems to be super concerned about supply chain security, which I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also yeah. means that a lot of things are happening and maybe coordination is not always a given. And so um, looking into what is the Quad currently doing with regards to uh, critical emerging technologies and supply chain security in the Pacific economic framework, there are some provisions with regard to cybersecurity there. So uh, I think that the message was basically Let's see what's happening in those different places. Make sure those efforts are, are aligned um, or at least are complementary to each other uh, and do not bite each other. I think that's uh, that, that was the, the fourth and last recommendation. Um, I think what you mentioned before is the important place that Singapore has uh, in the region as a, as a digital um, um, innovation hub. Um, and I think that it, it, it's kind of like, almost like a springboard if you want for US Singapore cooperation to um, test out um, some ideas, um, deploy them maybe in Singapore, and then try to, um, you know, deploy them further in, in other parts of the region, specifically to technical cybersecurity. I think that would be a, a wise thing to do. Um, where things become a little bit more complicated, and, and you and I talked about that before as well, uh, is is uh, the U.S. effort around managing U.S.-China competition through alliances. Um, and um, I, we all kind of observe how difficult it is uh, to see and understand what's happening in the region, uh, where they are leading or not, and to what degree um, such a cooperation could be helpful towards that end. But I think this is a this is kind of a complicated conversation. It's also maybe not entirely clear 
who wants what, uh, what are some of the future tech policies in, in all those different types of areas. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of other re- relevant activities going on in the Pacific framework and other, other trade-related conversations. I think this would probably be part of a separate conversation uh, to kind of like really take this apart and, and understand how that works. But I think, again, the idea of like Singapore being an important linchpin for the entire region to move things forward when it comes to technical cybersecurity. I think that's we should definitely pursue that. Uh, the US probably wants to is looking into how um, maybe such a cooperation could also be helpful to, to expanding um, other types of partnerships. But I think this is kind of early in this conversation. I'm curious myself how where this is going as a trend overall. So Andreas, what are the emerging tech trends do you see in the horizon that could reshape regional and global supply chain and their implications to supply chain cybersecurity? I think one thing that's going on is like this this huge proliferation of IoT, uh, particularly with regards to in the in the consumer area. But I think we also see you know other in the industrial area, automotive and so forth. I think what is interesting there from a cybersecurity perspective, and I think also where Singapore gets in very prominently, is the question of like IoT labeling. Uh, the idea there is basically how can we empower. Uh, consumers or if you want a digital consumer to make smarter decisions. So this is kind of like also related to the supply chain security conversation because this is like, you know, the supply chain at the very end, right? And so how can average consumers that are not cybersecurity experts make better informed decisions? Uh, one idea of doing that is to put a label on IoT devices that kind of like indicates how secure a device is. The absence of a label doesn't say it's secure or not, but if you have um, a label that says this is secure or meets a certain type of standard, the consumers will be able to compare okay, one IoT uh, camera with another one and see, okay, I have two cameras in front of me. Uh, one has a ranking number five, other one has only a ranking number two. Assuming five in this particular example is higher than two, then the consumer, uh, the security aware consumer uh, would or should make the decision that that I go with the more secure camera. There are some studies that indicate that consumers are actually willing to pay money for um, better security. So I think that's encouraging. And it's also encouraging for um, vendors um, because uh, vendors in the past, uh, there's like this, this, uh, uh, this problem of if you cannot assess something in a product, it will be hard. There's no reason for why consumers would pay for it. So if there's a quality that you cannot observe, uh, consumers will not pay for it. And that's why uh, vendors will not put man- money down as, as in cybersecurity to actually make it better. But the idea with a label is that the, the quality is now observable. And so people will make informed decisions based on that. A couple of years ago, um, I think 2020, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, Singapore was one of the first to introduce a so-called um, cybersecurity labeling scheme where the cybersecurity agency of Singapore um, started that, uh, you know, a kind of a label where, where, where a manufacturer can come and either self-certify or certify uh, or get certification through a third party to um, whether or not their product meets a certain level of security. In the beginning, those were just like a few, like I think like seven or eight, if I remember at the time, which you wonder, well, we have like a huge market with a lot of devices that probably needs more than that. Um, But now um, it's roughly around 140 certified products, IoT products for for the consumer good. Uh, And I've heard there are many more in the pipeline. The, the, The point overall here is one is like, 
um, if we talk about cybersecurity and what governments and, and big organizations are doing, we also should not forget that consumers should be at the cybersecurity conversation table as well. And so this is one way to empower the digital consumer uh, to make uh, risk-informed decisions. Uh, it will also help to you know, um, um, foster their trust in, in the, the, the device that they buy are actually secure, given this has been certified and tested against a certain standard. That is exciting because Singapore has been an early mover in this field. The U.S. has uh, recently, based on, a, on, 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 on an executive order, also started testing IoT pilots and, and the, the National Institute uh, for Standards and Technology NIST came up with a couple of reports, uh, and got different stakeholders together to have conversations around around IoT labeling and came up with, with uh, criteria for devices and software to kind of like inform this conversation in the US as well. So I think that's a particular place where the US probably should uh, look to Singapore and learn from, that, from their experiences. That's a very great way to wrap up um, this conversation with you, Andreas. And we definitely learn a lot. And as you said in the conversation, that I think we need to have more conversation as we are just really, you know, starting to think about, as you said, how can we address uh, this growing sort of proliferation of IoT devices, especially in Southeast Asia, where you have a very vibrant, vibrant population and access to these technologies and also growing connectivity. But I think what is lacking in terms of what the U.S. and Singapore can really bridge the gap into is how do we put the safeguards or the guardrails to these um, devices. And you've also mentioned, you know, how can we take this multilateral or regional agreements from IPEF to um, this international NIST standards to really work at the organizational, at the industry level, and also in the broader ecosystem conversation at the United Nations. And uh, anything that you'd like to um, share or you're working on um, at the moment that our listeners would be very interested to know about as well. So a uh, good question. There's always something new in the pipeline, as you can imagine. I think for me next is more some more work on those technology alliances. I'm curious around how how they have been emerging, um, what the U.S. and its partners of like-minded states are doing. That space a particular focus here is 5G and semiconductor, um, as well as kind of like uh, you know uh, the Quad and uh, the U.S. EU Trade and Technology Council. So that's early on, not much to report on at this point, but I hope we have another round of, of your wonderful podcast and we'll be, we'd love to talk more about some of those findings. Terrific conversation as always with you, Andreas. And we thank you again for being with us here uh, in our Indo-Pacific Current uh, for this special curated series for the U.S.-Singapore Tech and Innovation Series, a virtual series, and also your participation during our virtual series. And um, we hope to see you again next time, as you said, and have a chat again with you. Thank you, Mark. It was my pleasure to be, be here with you. Thank you.